Having gone through this upheaval of changing my career, it's forced me to let go of these very fixed ideas. And I've been surprised at myself at how quickly I've let them go. Actually, how much better I feel for having let them go as well. Happy New Year and welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you pursue more meaningful work. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more fulfilling work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to describe how she relaunched her career from being a medical doctor to an English pronunciation teacher. We'll discuss the difference between procrastination and just not wanting to do something, and how to tell if it's time for a change. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll explain what happened when I let go of how I thought things should look in my career. Happy 2019. I hope you had a great start to the new year and you've hopefully gotten a chance to relax and rejuvenate over the holidays. I'm back in London now after spending a couple weeks with my family and friends in Las Vegas where my mother lives. And I'm really excited to kick off the 2019 season of Career Relaunch with my very first guest of the year, Karen Chung Hing. Karen initially worked as a junior doctor for the National Health Service in the UK before retraining as an English pronunciation teacher and working for a variety of language service organizations. She recently moved away from the UK and now lives and teaches in Bangkok, Thailand. I really enjoyed talking with Karen because she shares some empowering perspectives on how much our careers are actually within our control, how she managed to move countries without causing too much disruption to her life, and the upside of flexing your preconceived notions of what you think your career should look like. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 52. Karen spoke with me from Bangkok. Okay, hello, Karen, and welcome to Career Relaunch. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited to talk with you today, Karen, because you're going to be our first guest who is based in Thailand. And I want to talk about a few different things today, your former life as a doctor, your transition into becoming a language teacher, and also your recent move. And I was wondering if you could just start there by telling me what you're focused on over there in Thailand after moving there from the UK and what you're focused on in your career and your life. Yeah. So at the moment, I am living in Bangkok. And I took a one-year contract here at a school. The school is bilingual, so the children learn both in Thai and in English. And they asked for some help with the children's English pronunciation. So um, I've come over to try and help them implement some changes so that we can help the children to understand how to make the English sounds which Thai people would normally have a lot of difficulty with. So that's my focus, really, for the for the next year or so. I was just thinking back to when we first crossed paths, because I think you were sitting in the audience at one of my career change talks in London, and then we connected later over the phone right before you were about to move from London to Bangkok. And we're going to get into why you moved to Thailand in a bit, but I was wondering if we could first go back in time a little bit before we talk about your current life and go back to the time when you used to be a doctor in the UK and was hoping you could start off by telling us, first of all, why you chose to become a doctor. And then we'll talk a little bit about why you chose to leave it behind. 
So it's like um, a completely different life, actually. I, I genuinely feel like that was the life of somebody else in many ways. And, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old and you have to choose something for university, I'm sure there are some 16-year-olds out there who are very self-aware and uh, really know what they're doing, but I'd hazard a guess the majority of them are like what I was at that age. And I didn't really think about it that well. It just seemed like a good, responsible, stable sort of career. And when I was younger, I was intent on always being a a goody two-shoes and uh, a very responsible sort of girl. So it seemed like a, a natural choice. And I often say to people that I sort of fell into it and they never believe me because there is an element of competitiveness to get into med school. But what I mean is that I I sort of drifted down this path without perhaps thinking about it enough when I was younger. And what kind of a doctor were you? And could you just give us a glimpse into your day-to-day life? Well, the way it works in the UK is that you qualify for medical school and then you do have to do your initial two years as a very general junior doctor, and they make you do rotations in different departments, which is supposed to give you a taste of different aspects of hospital life or community medicine life and help you to decide which direction you'd like to go in later. So I hadn't got much further really than doing general medicine. I'd got as far as going more towards adult medicine as opposed to pediatric medicine, um, but I hadn't got much further than that when I actually decided to leave. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you thought being a doctor was going to be like, and then what the reality was in comparison to that blueprint that you had in your head. I do sometimes say to my ex-colleagues that I think if the reality of the day-to-day work had matched my blueprint uh, more closely than I, I possibly could have stayed. I think I was expecting something with more of a team spirit. I think I was looking for some kind of mentor in some way, you know, like a an elderly professor sort of person who takes you around and quizzes you a lot and challenges you. And, and of course, there are people like that in medicine. It's just that the NHS as it is, it's just so overstretched at the moment that even if we do have people like that who could be mentors like that, they don't have any kind of time to be that kind of mentor, you know? So unfortunately, I didn't feel supported enough and uh, that left me very stressed um, on many occasions, I think. And perhaps if it had been different, then maybe I would have stayed. What about the patient interaction, what you envisioned your doctor-patient relationships to be versus what they actually were? To be honest, I hadn't really given it much thought. Uh I know that sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but um, I really was not well prepared for the career. And I enjoyed speaking to some of the patients, of course, and then I didn't like speaking to other patients. I mean, that's to be expected you know, it's, it's, you're not going to enjoy your interactions with every single person when you're dealing with the general public. I have to say, I wasn't expecting any kind of adulation or anything like that just for being a doctor. So it wasn't that I was disappointed by that at all. Medicine is very interesting, you know, in itself, it's a very interesting subject, but the 
day to day is obviously less interesting. There's a lot of routine stuff that goes on, which as bad as it sounds, can get a little bit boring. It just didn't satisfy me on a day-to-day basis. And Karen, what made you realize that you wanted to make a shift away from medicine? Because I'm hearing you say it wasn't really satisfying you and it wasn't quite what you wanted from your day-to-day work life. At what point did you make the decision to move on? I started thinking about it when I was in my second year of working and sort of agonized over the decision and eventually left after I think I'd worked for about three and a half years, roughly. And that was the point at which I actually left. But it's not to say that there was any kind of moment of clarity. It was more like a gradual creeping realization that it probably wasn't going to get much better than what it was. And, and I sort of felt like, well, I, I better try something else whilst I still can. There was this recurring thought, which might seem morbid, but it was actually a really good spur, which was that if I got hit by a bus the next day and died, I would be really annoyed with myself that I didn't at least give it a shot to do something that I really enjoyed and really found interesting and and really loved, at least to try it, you know. And I just thought at the end of the day, I could go back to medicine if it didn't work out. So in the end, that's what persuaded me to leave. (laughs) Before we go on to your transition, can you remember the day when you had your last day as a doctor seeing patients and what it was like to walk away from that? My very last job, it wasn't that I decided to leave and then handed in my notice and that was it. It was that particular job was actually coming to a natural end anyway. And it was just that I didn't then apply for a new job. The last day of work at that point, I still hadn't fully decided what I was going to do. So I suppose I thought that maybe I could still apply for another medical job within the next month or something like that. So it was more that I left the job, spent some time at home, And then decided, you know what, I'm not going to apply for a medical job now. I'm going to apply for a language job. I think when we spoke before, we talked about the fact that I also went to medical school and I actually decided to leave that behind. (laughs) And I remember going through this period. For me, it actually lasted a couple of years where I was really just trying to reflect and figure out what I wanted to do next. How did you go about figuring that out, making the leap from medicine over to becoming a language teacher? Languages was always in the background, always, always, always in the background. Since I was a child and I'd randomly found this Learn Italian book at the library or something like that, you know, I'd been hooked really on languages and I I knew I liked that. That was an absolute certainty. But in terms of what career I should actually go into after medicine, languages was obviously a strong contender. But I think there was a part of me that felt like, oh, it's a terrible waste if I don't do something related to medicine. Whilst I was still working in medicine, I did spend quite a lot of time brainstorming different areas that I could work in. So for example, could I transition into pharmaceuticals or could I transition into research or could I transition into Chinese medicine, for example? And so I'd I'd look at all of these options. I'd I'd do little spider diagrams and things like that. But when I looked at the finished brainstorming, I was still always more attracted to the branch that came off saying languages. Um, So in the end, I thought I'd better give that a go, really. (laughs) 
And during your transition, I think you also told me before that you saw a career coach and you guys talked about quite a few different things related to your future. Can you just give us a glimpse into a couple of the topics that you talked about with your career coach and how that helped you gain the clarity you needed to make your next move? Yes, I actually saw a few different people, only one of whom was actually a careers coach specifically. And the other people were just sort of general coaches or counsellors that just talked to me in general about um, my career uh, issues. But this particular lady who was a proper careers coach, she was a retired GP. And so she was perfect because she understood the medical world and she was trained in careers counselling. It was interesting to me because I think I went in there with a very business-like attitude, sort of, I need some help to decide on my next career move. Please help me to, to go about making a good decision. And it surprised me how she started actually by going into some personal things. And I was more than happy to discuss these things. And I guess it made me feel that actually your life can't always be compartmentalized into your life and then your career. I mean, your career is part of your life, isn't it? So that was interesting. And then we did a lot of fascinating stuff about personality types and to discuss which parts of of your personality might find it more difficult to work in medicine as it is at the moment in the NHS and which parts of your personality might be making your life difficult, um, not just in your career, but also in your personal life. So those kinds of things were fascinating. I think when we spoke before the recording, you also mentioned that you guys talked a little bit about the topics of procrastination and uh, also giving yourself permission to do the things that you deeply wanted to do. Could you just give us a glimpse into what you were talking about related to those topics? With regards to procrastination, the first time I talked about that was with the very first counsellor that I went to see. And I went to him saying, I have a problem with procrastination because I'm not revising for this medical exam, which was a postgrad medical exam. And obviously I should be revising for it. And after a few sessions, he said to me, I'm not sure that your problem is procrastination. I think you just don't want to do it. And that was definitely a turning point for me because I guess I knew that on a subconscious level, but I'd certainly never admitted that openly to myself, let alone to other people. So to have a stranger perceive that and then just say it to me point blank, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. So I felt like that was a very significant moment. That's really interesting because I sometimes wonder why (laughs) I haven't made a move on one of the ideas that I've been thinking about. And yeah, it's really interesting to think that actually the reason why you haven't done it yet is because you don't actually want to do it. And uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, though. How can you tell the difference between something that you deep down don't really want to do versus something you do want to do, but just haven't done yet? So for example, if I think about that medical exam, every time I thought about it, my heart would sink. And of course, I wouldn't want to revise. Now, at the moment, I do have a project which I have been procrastinating on, 
but when I think of it, it's not that my heart sinks. I'm still interested in doing it. I still, it still energizes me to think about doing it. It's just that I haven't, I haven't been that organized, let's say, in actually putting aside the time. So I think for me, that's the difference really is how do you feel inside when you think of the project? (laughs) Well, interesting. So let's move on then and let's switch gears and talk about your time as a language teacher. What exactly were you teaching and who were you working with once you decided that that's what you wanted to do? I initially did a one-month certificate in teaching English as a foreign language because it's it was basically the easiest and quickest qualification that I could get to get my foot in the door to work in languages somehow. And at that stage, I wasn't too fussed about what the job was going to be. I just thought I better go in this general direction because I think I'll like it. So I started working in London as an English teacher primarily for young young Europeans who would come over for you know two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, that kind of thing. And they would come to the language school and I would just teach them grammar mostly. And it was, it was lovely. It really was um, a fantastic change to look forward to going into work every day and uh, to interact with the students. And then I realized I was quite interested in pronunciation and helping the students with pronunciation, but I didn't know anything about it. So I Googled it and found a a teacher training course. And uh, when I went to inquire about it, they said, you know, we don't have a lot of teachers who are interested in this. If you're really interested, do the course with us. And then after that, maybe you can work with us. And so that's what I did and haven't really looked back since. Was there anything challenging related to the actual transition of going from uh, working in a space that's focused much more on clinical issues where you're working with patients to um, something that is much more language focused, working with students. Was that jarring in any way for you? Or did you find that transition to be quite a natural progression from your former career as a doctor? I would say there was nothing jarring about it at all. More like coming back into your natural environment. So I was very happy to suddenly be surrounded by language things and language conversations and language questions and the students from all the different countries. The only thing that I missed quite a lot at the beginning was that in the hospital, you did really work in teams. And, you know, I used to really enjoy working with the nurses. And then when you become a teacher, of course, you are very much working by yourself. I mean, you have colleagues, but they just work in their own classrooms and you don't work together so much. So that was probably the one thing that I missed the most, but it wasn't difficult and it wasn't jarring at all. No. And then your most recent transition, let's talk about that because this is a major move that you made from the UK to Thailand. What prompted you to decide to shift geographies and what's that been like for you? It's been really good. It was a bit of serendipity as well as actually making the decision in that the school where I work now, I had been there last year to do some training with my ex-boss. So we had delivered a training course at the school. And when we went back to the UK, the principal of the school emailed us and said, you know what, actually, we thought your training was good and we'd like somebody to come back and help us for a year. So I got offered the job and I did think about it, obviously, for a while. But in the end, it it seemed like a great opportunity 
in that it was being offered to me without me having really sought it out. And it was in Asia. And because of my family being Chinese, I had wanted on some level to, to spend more time in Asia somewhere, even though we are not Thai um, and I don't have much experience with the Thai culture. But of course, it's closer to Chinese culture, which is where my family's from, than the British culture. So I was really keen to live somewhere in Asia and um, experience more of a, a general Asian culture and eat more Asian food, of course. <laughs> right. I'm, sure that, I'm sure that must be really enjoyable for you. What's been the most surprising part of transplanting yourself from the UK to Thailand? I guess I thought that when I got to Thailand, everything would be so interesting that I would not be able to resist going out all the time to see things and see sights and discover new places. Probably I was a bit naive. And then when you actually get here and you go to work every day, your life does actually revert back to the very normal life of everybody else in the world who goes to work, which is go to work, come back, think about what you want to eat for dinner, maybe try and do some exercise, right. you know, um, catch up with friends and family and things like that, and uh, and then go to bed. So in a way, the most surprising thing has been how the day-to-day -day has remained the same. That's really interesting. I remember, Karen, when I moved from the US to the UK, and so I was moving from San Francisco to London, I had a very similar experience to what you described. Like I used to come and visit London and I would go check out all the sites. And then when I moved here and relocated here to start working, my day-to-day -day life wasn't actually that different compared to what no. I was doing before. Like yep. I was in a different country <laughs> and of course the culture is different and your environment's different, but actually it's amazing how much you're able to transplant your life these days and how quickly you're able to just pick up where you left off. That was something that, that I found surprising. And it sounds like you've had a, a kind of similar experience where you've been able to just, in sort of a modular way, take your life here and move it completely to a different geography without a tremendous amount of interruption. Yeah. And I, I think obviously we have the internet and because we do everything on the internet anyway. So everything that I was doing on the internet has remained exactly the same, except that, you know, I get replies to emails at funny times because of the time zone difference. Right. Yeah. And so much of our lives are online that actually that hasn't been a big shift at all. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. <laughs> well, before we wrap up with what the future looks like for you there in Bangkok, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned along the way during the twists and turns of your career. The first thing I wanted to ask you was, having been through this career change, what's one thing that you've learned about yourself along the way? Something that I have developed by changing my career and which I was surprised to learn about myself was that I found it quite easy to let go of outcomes. I think that in the past I was, I had very fixed ideas as to how things should be and very fixed ideas as to what was right, what was wrong, what the best course of action was. And I had very fixed ideas as to what results should look like. Having gone through this upheaval of changing my career, it's forced me to let go of these very fixed ideas. And I've been surprised at myself at how quickly I've let them go. Actually, how much better I feel for having let them go as well. So that's been a very positive thing for me. 
Along those lines, is there something that you wished you had known that you now know about letting go, especially since it sounds like you're a lot better at doing that now? Definitely. When I was thinking of changing my career, I visualized myself on a conveyor belt and it was a conveyor belt of be a good girl, um, get good grades at school, go to a university, graduate, get a good job in medicine, work, 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 retire, and then, you know, uh, die at the end of it. Um, and again, that sounds quite morbid, but that, that was the picture in my head. And um, at some point I thought, well, if I'm going to change career, it's, it's sort of like you're stepping off of this conveyor belt. And that was one of the scariest things for me because it was, that was all I had ever known. And also because I was so fixated on doing the right thing in terms of what I thought society was telling me the right thing was. And what I wish I had known earlier was that the world doesn't end just because you got off the conveyor belt and you are allowed to do other things outside of the the small box which you've drawn for yourself. And not only does the world not end, but actually your world gets bigger. It becomes more exciting, much more interesting, much more colourful. I do wish I'd realised that at a a younger age, I think. (laughs) Well, I want to wrap up today, Karen, by talking about what the future looks like for you now as you think about your life there in Bangkok and the language teaching that you're doing. What's next for you? That's a very good question, and I don't know the answer. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. So something I'm, I'm better at now is not knowing the answer and being okay with that. And I just think that for the future, I would just like to continue to do work that I enjoy and that is useful to other people in some way. And also something that I wish for my future is that if I do ever feel like I'm on the wrong path again in the future, that I will get off it faster than I did before. <laughs> That's a great tip. I I was just thinking about that today, about how often we actually know deep down that we're on the wrong path, whether it's something small, like who we've decided to work with on a particular project, or if it's something bigger, like the direction we've chosen to take our career, how sometimes we're just better off not hanging on and just letting go much more quickly instead of going through the agony of thrashing about and trying to force it to work. I do that myself. I I think I tend to hang on a little bit too long. Like I think I want to make things work out and yeah, to not give up. And at the same time, it seems like there's a real value in just moving on quickly. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think we do get told when we're younger that it is obviously a good thing to not just give up at the first hurdle, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always a balance to be had, I think. And perhaps when I was younger, I would take that idea of not giving up and just just take it too far and not not bring in the balance of asking yourself, well, do I do I really want this? Is my ladder up against the right wall, as it were, you know, <laughs> that old saying. But it's a difficult thing to judge. And I guess we can own we just make mistakes and then we just learn from them and that's it, really. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I guess that's part of being human. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for telling us more about your former life as a doctor, your transition to being a language teacher, and also your move from the UK to Thailand. So best of luck with everything you have going on out there and looking forward to catching up again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 
So I hope you enjoyed hearing Karen's thoughts on what convinced her to make a career change and what happens when you step outside your own career box. Now it's time to wrap up with today's mental fuel, where I'm going to describe what happened when I myself let go of focusing too much on outcomes in my own career. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I'd like to thank Grasshopper for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Grasshopper is the virtual phone system designed for entrepreneurs and small business owners. It works just like a traditional phone system, but it's all managed online or by phone, so callers can reach you anytime, wherever you are. As a Career Relaunch listener, you can get $50 off your first order. Just go to trygrasshopper.com relaunch. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to revisit this topic Karen referenced about letting go of outcomes. So for most of my career, and even still now, I've been quite focused on outcomes, which I see as the results of my work. Part of this approach is driven by my own natural focus on achieving goals and achievement in general, which has always been a big part of my own identity and personality. And part of this approach is driven by my professional environment, namely the corporate world, where you're judged by the quantifiable results you achieve, both business results like cost savings or profitability, and also personal results like getting a good interview review or landing that next promotion within a defined period of time. Just to give you a few concrete examples of goals I've had in the past that actually helped me drive forward professionally, when I was working as a corporate marketer leading a national ad campaign to relaunch a brand, or reaching a certain level of seniority within the marketing function, or more recently starting my own business and achieving a certain level of income, launching this podcast and reaching a certain level of listenership. And in each of these cases, setting a clear goal and trying to achieve a certain outcome was useful because it gave me a clearer sense of where I wanted to head and how I should invest my time and energies. It gave me a sense of purpose, intention, and direction. Then achieving those goals definitely filled me with a sense of progress and accomplishment. And I suspect that for you, and probably for most people out there, achieving a desired outcome or ambitious goal feels pretty good. At the same time, trying to achieve certain outcomes has also led me astray in my career, blinded me to other opportunities, or just drained a lot of energy from me for longer than they probably should have. For example, trying to finish a project with someone I've hired who was the wrong hire, which ended up wasting a lot of time and causing a lot of avoidable frustration. Trying to become a doctor myself, which blinded me from exploring other career paths or trying to land a specific job within one specific company when I first moved to London, which sucked up a disproportionate amount of my time and energy. Some of the goals that drained more energy from me than they probably should have actually overlap with those goals I mentioned earlier, like trying to get promoted to a certain level, which didn't actually matter as much as I thought, at least to me, or my desire to lead a big ad campaign project, which eventually came my way even though it didn't happen as soon as I'd hoped. So I've had situations where trying to achieve a specific outcome has served me well, and I've also had situations where my obsessive focus on trying to achieve a very specific outcome has not served me so well. And looking back, honestly, some of those desired outcomes were driven by external factors like being concerned about what other people thought of me or just societal expectations rather than what I myself found truly meaningful. Now, especially around this time of year, 
I know you may be thinking about your goals for the next 12 months, your New Year's resolutions, and maybe even which resolutions you didn't achieve in 2018 that you want to carry forward into 2019. What I'd like you to consider is which outcomes you've been trying to achieve that do matter to you and which ones don't matter to you as much, at least anymore, or just aren't really serving you in a productive way. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying you should just slack off and do only those things that you want to do or that naturally come to you. I think pushing yourself toward useful goals, even if they're unpleasant along the way, can absolutely be worth it. But sometimes, as Karen mentioned, letting go of being too focused on a specific outcome can actually lift some pressure off your shoulders and allow you to devote your energy elsewhere. Because sometimes you have to let go of one goal to open up some space for another goal that might be more productive for the future you really want. That brings me to a quote from the German Nobel Prize winning poet Hermann Hesse. Some of us think holding on makes us strong, but sometimes it's letting go. So my challenge to you as you kick off 2019 is to not necessarily think about which goal or outcome you want to achieve, but to instead think about which goal or outcome it's about time you let go of, which is equally important. Think about something you've been a bit too obsessively focused on. Reconsider what difference achieving that outcome would really make to your career or life. And if the difference is negligible, let it go. So you can make room for something else. This is something I'm also thinking about, and although I haven't pinpointed it precisely just yet, it's probably going to relate to loosening my grip on monitoring the metrics on at least one of the perhaps too many platforms where I publish my content so I can focus my energies on only the important ones that can make the biggest difference to the largest number of people out there who want to open up a new chapter in their careers. As we kick off another year of career relaunch, I just wanted to thank you for being a loyal listener. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, and there's only so many you can fit into your schedule, so I look forward to hopefully remaining on your playlist in 2019. And don't forget, you can subscribe to Career Relaunch on any of your favorite iOS or Android podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. You can even listen to Career Relaunch using your smart speaker. If you've got an Amazon Echo, enable the AnyPod skill, then just say, Alexa, ask AnyPod to play the Career Relaunch podcast. On Google Home, just say, OK, Google, listen to the Career Relaunch podcast. Or on Apple HomePod, say, hey, Siri, play Career Relaunch. If you have a question you'd like me to field or a suggestion of a guest you'd like to see on the show, drop me an email at joseph at careerrelaunch.net or better yet, leave me a voicemail at careerrelaunch.net slash 52, where you can also find a summary of all the points from today's conversation with Karen. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 52. I've got a lot of unique guests coming up in 2019 on the show. And in the next episode, we're heading over to Cancun, Mexico, where I'm going to be featuring a former prison guard turned strength and fitness coach. We're going to talk about what he learned from working in a prison and what made him decide to leave that world behind. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Karen Chung Hing for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.